Blog Talk Radio. You're listening to Starseed Radio Academy, empowering Starseed to better serve the planet. Welcome to Starseed Radio Academy. It's Tuesday, March 7th, 2017, and I'm your host, Ariel Taylor, with my co-hosts, Lavendar and Anastasia. We have only two spots available for our May Pleiadian lineup Starseed Quest. This Starseed Gathering is a Soul Family reunion in Arkansas, and eligibility requires having at least one star marking at galactic degree, which is 25, 26, or 27 degrees of any sign. This is a new four-day event redesigned to bring all star seeds to their next level of activation in the most powerful crystal energy on the planet. If you feel the call of the crystals and a desire to reunite with your starseed family, you can still register for our Pleiadian lineup gathering, which is May 19th through the 22nd, and write to crystals, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L-S, at starseedhotline.com for more details. Next week is Starseed Radio Academy's seventh anniversary, and it's been our great honor to present you with the outstanding work of many authors and metaphysicians, as well as the galactic light information that Lavendar has gathered over her 30 years of assignments with the Pleiadians. We have a great show for you tonight with conversations from Lavendar's vault. This interview covers a variety of galactic topics, and it reveals enlightening information that Lavendar has kept in her bank vault for decades. This was first aired two years ago, and even if you've heard this before, there are codes within it that you may have missed the first time. If you haven't visited our Vault of Knowledge on our website, which is starseedhotline.com, There's a great deal of information there to help starseeds go forward in their missions, and nearly all of it came from Lavendar's vault. Because our presentation tonight was pre-recorded, we won't be taking any questions afterwards. We have an online starseed community at starseedhotline.ning.com, and it's a safe place to connect with other starseeds thanks to Tammy's dedication and help with our forum. You can download our shows on iTunes or right here on Blog Talk. If you'd like to show your support of our program, please click follow on our page here, and you'll get our weekly show notices. The toll-free number for StarseedHotline.com is 888-881-0881. The Stage 1 Starseed confirmations are based on Lavendar's discovery of star markings in your natal astrological chart, and the Stage 2 session is a one-on-one phone session available with Lavendar, Anastasia, or myself. For those who need healing of any kind, whether for yourself or your pets, Tammy's powerful remote sessions will make a difference. If you have a birthday coming up, you don't want to miss out on your 10 hours of power, you can find out when that happens by requesting your solar return timing. And please bear in mind, if you want an interpretation of that chart, you'll need to order it at least two or three months ahead of time to make sure you get it in before your 10 hours because we do have a waiting list. So first tonight, I would like to introduce Anastasia with her wonderful Starseed News. Hey, Anastasia. Well, good evening, Ariel. Good evening, Starseed listeners. It's great to be with you. Today, March 7th, and the sun is blank. There are no sunspots. Saw pictures wow. of that on the Internet, and it's weird. I mean, it's just still. 
Well, it does have a hole in it, by the way, but they're not calling that a sunspot. We are now exiting the solar wind stream that I talked about last week, and uh, that was flowing from a large canyon-shaped hole in the sun's atmosphere. And now, today, NOAA forecasters have lowered the chance of a geomagnetic storm to only 25%, so that's kind of simmering down. But no sunspots. Anyway, uh, we're having a transformation of Venus coming up on March 25th, 20, uh, 23 days from now. Venus is going to pass almost directly between the Earth and the Sun. This is an event that astronomers call inferior solar conjunction. Now, as Venus approaches the Sun, the planet is turning its night side toward Earth and reducing its luminous glow to a thin sl sliver. Now, what's exciting is they say you don't need binoculars to see the shape of Venus. Even ordinary binoculars will show this crescent to your eyes. So they say that on March 25th, look for Venus shining brightly in the western sky at sunset that you won't be able to miss it. And this comes from spaceweather.com. That's going to be really beautiful. Yeah. Well, we've had some crazy weather across the planet. Goodness sakes, it's just wild, folks. We had blizzard warnings in Hawaii last week, uh, 46 avalanches across Pakistan, etc., and so on. That's right. There were more than 10 inches of snow on the summits of the Big Island in Hawaii late last week. They had blizzard warnings. Pakistan villages were cut off by 46 avalanche, avalanches, and villagers at that time were without food and medicine in a certain area of Pakistan. Even a floods unearthed a 7th century cemetery in Iran, and they had epic lightning storms over the Amazon. It's just Mother Nature's going crazy. Lots of stuff. And about that flooding uh, that's occurred in California, there was an uh, article out of Live Science that came out yesterday that said that uh, there's dramatic images now taken by aerial, aerial photography that shows that the Oroville Dam in California, where they uh, released the, the water over the spillway, is showing catastrophic damage now. Catastrophic, that's pretty big. Oroville Dam was, is the main uh, power, uh, uh, excuse me, water uh, resource for electricity and water supply in the state of California. But dramatic new images show that the extent of the damage to the spillway on California's tallest dam uh, is, are very serious, and this follows weeks of torrential rains that plummet, pl uh, pummeled uh, California. Now, the images are showing damage to the emergency spillway, and, uh, you know, that's, in, as I said, is intended to serve as an outlet for the overflow of water. Uh, but the heavy rainfall uh, that happened really wrecked it. They had to use the spillway. Otherwise, it would have caused terrible flooding in the communities below the dam. Well, now, as the rain has stopped and the water levels have dropped to low enough levels, very low levels, uh, to accommodate rain for the rest of the season, prevent for more flooding, that is, uh, the scientists are finally seeing the extensive damage from this uh, incident. And apparently they're going to have to haul away tons and tons and tons of debris uh, just to get to it in order to repair it. It's going to be a major, major project. That's not an easy thing to do. Well, we have some volcanoes erupting across the planet. Did you know, I've mentioned it before, we often have lots that are active. But right now there's 35 volcanoes active. And uh, the climate is raising concerns all across the the world, really. And you, you might go to the post office or the grocery store and you'll hear people talking about it. Wow, this weather's crazy and so on. People have often done that, but um, 
people are becoming more aware that things are just kind of out of alignment. And now there's been news about volcanic eruptions from just all over the planet. I can't hardly keep up with that. You know, Italy's Mount, uh, Mount Etna, as of late, erupted with a large amount of magma amid what is presently its second emission in the most recent year. And uh, Mount Etna has been referred to as Europe's greatest and most capable volcano of gushing lava. Its, uh, its emissions present a peril to air activity and could uh, influence towns and homes on the lower inclines of the mountain, uh, which would be affected by lava. Now, India's only volcano is dynamic once again after having been dormant for 150 years. And right now, four of Iceland's fundamental volcanoes are speculated to erupt soon with the volcano... Uh, uh, how do I say that? Bar- <laughs> Baradunga? I don't think that's quite right. I've talked about it before, but it is currently erupting and uh, uh, spewing lava. Uh, indicated by uh, volcanic discovery, uh, there are 35 volcanoes now ejecting at this moment or have, have lately emitted uh, all along the different uh, parallels of the world. They're going off all over the place. And uh, there are even significantly more volcanoes, more than 35, that have out eruption notices, which means that they could, in fact, erupt at any moment. So we have a lot of geothermal activity making its way to the surface on this planet. And, uh, of course, you know that does affect air quality, and it does influence weather patterns. So, uh, yikes, there it is. Well, here is a, I don't know what you'd call this story. Anyway, without further comment, I'm going to tell you what it is. Two University of Oxford biomedical researchers are calling for robots to be built with real human tissue. And they say the technology is there if we would just choose to develop it. Well, do you know how they grow human tissue? Does anybody Mm -hmm. even realize that they do grow human tissue? Well, they do. And according to this article right now, Tissue engineering relies on bioreactors to grow sheets of cells. Now, these are machines that often look like large fish tanks, and they're filled with a rich soup of nutrients and chemicals that cells need to grow on a specialized trellis. Well, the problem with that is these uh, these tanks that they call bioreactors don't imitate the real mechanical environment for skin cells. In other words... You can grow uh, skin cells on a, on a trellis, but that doesn't train them to move and stretch with uh, the motions of the body. You know, your skin stretches all the time. And so they're looking for a better way to make this uh, artif- uh, grown skin, this uh, laboratory-grown skin, to be more uh, uh, effective for use on the human body to replace uh, skin. And that's where they want to use robots. They want to uh, have a human bioreactor, not a fish tank bioreactor, but a humanoid bioreactor system that has structures, dimensions, and mechanics similar to those of the human body. And that by growing skin on these robots, they think that the skin will be better to use on humans and uh, have the additional aspect of having robots with human skin. So you get two for one on that. You grow skin that on these bioreactors that can be used uh, for transplants on human beings, and then you could also have robots that have real human skin. Which the article says nothing about how in the world one would sustain living tissue over the surface of a robot. 
and you know, some, sometimes these articles really frustrate me. I mentioned <laughs> to you once a few months ago that uh, it's getting harder and harder to find reliable news, and the articles are more and more poorly written, and it calls for more research on my part, which I really don't have time to do. And so sometimes I, I read these things and I go, well, you left out so many points. Okay, you didn't cover so many points. And I, I struggle with that all the time when I try to bring you all the news. So although I didn't research this extensively to find out exactly what they, how they would plan to feed the skin that would be on an inanimate or a, a non-organic robot, nevertheless, that's a question to ask. The point being, everybody, is that here again is, it, is it a, a situation where science is doing something just because it can. Okay, yeah. enough said. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on what they're doing in nanotech and ay 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 yikes. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, here's an interesting story out of Maryland. This will be our last story for tonight because I want to uh, allow you all to listen to this program that we're going to have. But Maryland, the state of Maryland, has issued a report on Wi-Fi in schools. And according to the activist post, this should be implemented everywhere because this report raises some serious questions. Now, you know, we're... As Starseed, we're all mindful of uh, signals, frequencies, Wi-Fi, cell phones. I hope, I hope we are, but most people are not, and uh, they are using Wi-Fi in schools. And, and in fact, I just drove through my neighborhood the other day, and I saw a brand new cell tower. You know that? I didn't even know that thing was going up. There was a big crane over there, and I looked, and there was this brand new cell tower with all those hideous spikes coming out of it. I thought, great. You know, as if we don't have enough, we're getting more. Well, uh, they're using Wi-Fi in schools, and the Maryland Children's Environmental Health and Protection Advisory Council, that's a mouthful, issued an 11-page report last year, at the end of the year, in December, titled Wi-Fi Radiation in Schools in Maryland, Final Report. And according to this writer with the Octopus Post, every school district in the country, if not around the world, needs to read and pay attention. This person says that on page page five of that report, uh, we read, what exposures are linked to Wi-Fi technology? That's the question that 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 the report poses. And here's what unfolded from that, and I'm quoting now. Wi-Fi radiation, also referred to as radio frequency radiation, or RFR, is non-ionizing radiation, typically in the microwave frequencies of approximately 900 megahertz, or million cycles per second to approximately 5 gigahertz. So from 900 megahertz to 5 gigahertz, which is 1 million cycles per second. And the report continues. Wi-Fi is used primarily for cellular telephones, local area networks, and other communications technologies. The primary bands used for Wi-Fi are generally 2.4 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz, which is, by the way, similar to operating a microwave oven's range of uh, 2.4 gigahertz or above. And uh, Wi-Fi radiation exposures are regulated by several agencies. The U.S. Federal Communications Commission issues radiation exposure guidelines and specific absorption rates, or SARs, for fixed antennas, handheld cellular phones, and personal communication service devices. These guidelines were last issued by the FCC in 1996. 
The U.S. Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, has established occupational exposure limits for microwave radiation. Now, uh, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration does not have standards for cellular telephones but can take regulatory action if these devices are known to have adverse health impacts. Well, the point being, as this report goes on, uh, that there is a significant concerning amount of radiation that children are exposed to on a constant basis. Uh, Some people go so far as to say that it's similar to standing next to a microwave oven with the door open while it's running constantly. And uh, that the the article also points out that uh, the regulations were established a long time ago. 1996 is quite a while when we're dealing with technology, let's face it. And that um, there are occupational limits uh, for microwave, uh, excuse me, occupational exposure limits for microwave radiation. So why are we exposing this to our children in schools? Because that's what this is, microwave oven energy. Uh, being broadcast in schools that use Wi-Fi. And uh, the U.S. uh, uh, Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, could do something about it if it wanted to, (laughs) but it does not yet have standards. So you can see that government is not pulled together on this. Why? Well, there's money behind all of this, as we well know. And it's one of those cases where science does something just because it can, Uh, Moving ahead full speed without uh, either proper testing or ignoring the testing and the opposition voices that have been raised against it uh, because it's a chance to make money in a, um, uh, what, market-driven society, money-driven society, the idea that we have an an unlimited uh, uh, capacity for growth. Well, I suppose we do if we continue to do things like this that are crazy and end up killing people off. Yes, I suppose. If there's no limitation to the choices that we make, then I suppose we can make money doing just about anything. But here it is. If you want to read about it, uh, if you're interested in reading the report, uh, uh, why don't you Google uh, Maryland's report on wife, uh, State of Maryland's report on Wi-Fi in schools and uh, see what you can find out. If you have children in schools that use Wi-Fi, you want to find out the dirt on that, check that out. And uh, maybe you will wish to approach your school about it Anyway, there it is. So any of you, you know, that are still left out there that are living on your cell phones and can't put your cell phones down and and uh, are really kind of into this sort of technology that emits these kinds of frequencies, oh, please, uh, think about it just a little bit more. <laughs> just because everybody else does it doesn't mean we should. And just because it's in schools doesn't mean it should be. Right, Arielle? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, there's, there's this thing about... Uh, I'm running out of time. Uh, We have to decide that consensus reality is not going to decide how we see reality. And Sarseed see the greater reality of things, which is an all-encompassing reality. And consensus reality is taking places that the world doesn't need to go. So just because other people say it's okay doesn't mean it is. Well, I'm done. I'll turn off my soapbox and turn it back over to you. (laughs) And look forward to the next time that we have our uh, Starseed News. I wish all of you beautiful weeks ahead. Much love from my heart to yours. And, oh, uh, do please experience joy and happiness and take time to smell the roses and look at the stars and be connected to your souls. Okay? Let's do that. Okay, Anastasia, thank you so much. Uh, Very, very important news report tonight. So um, with that, I am going to now... um, 
just very quickly, um, uh, I'm going to put your mic back on hold, Anastasia. Um, I just want to say uh, to you, Lavendar, that um, we appreciate you so much and all the work that you've done your entire life to bring the star seeds up to their full potential. And we certainly hope that in continuing um, that more and more people are helped by this information. So, Lavendar, um, I've got your mic open. I just want to say thank you, and we love you so much. Well, thank you so much, Ariel. I do want to say something about um, the Teton report. I hadn't really been able to come on and talk about it, and I wanted to, to say that this year's uh, meeting inside the mountain in Wyoming uh, brought us to the place where we are now going to have to suit up and practice time is over. It's like all these um, years that we've been spending in metaphysical search of truth and how to go forward with the programs on the planet. A lot of us have been given uh, special assignments uh, because of who we are and how we function on the planet. Others are here just now to bring in the new children. So you've heard me say many, many times that I had to hold this information for over 25 years because of the kids that were going to be born after 1980. Well, what I'm noticing now is that most of my appointments that are being scheduled now are people that were born after 1980. So I'm I'm noticing that somehow, some way, the beep beeps are happening upstairs to, down to the planet for people to find uh, starseed information. So the Teton meetings this year really emphasized how much um, has been laid before us starseeds to go forward with our plans on the planet. And one of the things that I would suggest is that no matter what's happening in politics, try to keep steady. Try not to get involved in the judgment of what you think is happening. Try to take your your focus away from the the media and the the uh, the judgment of what's happening because there's going to be a lot of combustive energy that's going to be happening out of this. And when it all is falling down around us, we star seeds are going to have to pick ourselves up and the planet and go forward and put down brand new rules and regulations for Earth and its inhabitants. So with that, um, back to you, Ariel. Okay, well, thank you so much, Lavendar. And with that, I'm going to start Conversations from Lavendar's Vault. After nearly five years on the air, Lavendar has covered quite a range of starseed information that she's collected through her chronicles over the last three decades, and that's always available in our archives. But with hundreds of shows completed, we thought it would be great to do kind of a Reader's Digest condensed version of a broad range of galactic topics so you don't miss something that we aired a few years ago. Plus, we get emails with questions that I think many people would like to have answered. So we've incorporated a massive amount of information in this first-time, full-length interview with Lavendar. We'll be including information for beginning to advanced starseed consciousness. So, Lavendar, we thank you for your unwavering dedication to the light information from the Pleiadians and their allies, which you've been living and collecting 
journaling and holding in the vault for us because now is the time. So I think I'd like to start with your foundation and background, okay? Okay. So you were born fully conscious. Tell us about that and what level of evolution is required for this and what do you remember about your birth? Well, I remember being being born and as I was being cleaned up and, and put in a wrap, I remembered thinking at the time, oh, those bright lights and, and there's so much noise in here. And I was very, very conscious of of everything, of everything. And as they took me to the nursery and uh, and put me in the nursery, uh, other babies were crying. And I was going, oh, my goodness, how do we get them to shut up? I was like, wow. <laughs> and I, I was very, very conscious of their um, uh, their being in the nursery. And then when I looked up on the windowsill, there was this um, praying mantis creature sitting on the windowsill. And I remembered turning my head and seeing it. And then there was a beam of energy that came to me from this being. And that was my really first strong memory of being connected to something besides being in the nursery, being, you know, on earth. All of a sudden I was very aware that I was connected to something outside of this planet. And I felt very safe and secure at that moment when that happened. Uh, later on, when I was um, old enough to talk, when I could say words, and I started speaking quite young. In fact, my parents, <laughs> there was a joke because when they would speak, I would know what they were saying, and, and they, did, they didn't realize that I was aware of English and that I knew what they were uh, saying in, in words. So pretty soon they started spelling everything. And then I got smart to spelling everything. So it, <laughs> there, was, there was a whole joke in our family about not talking in front of me because they knew that I could, I could understand. So um, in, in the very beginning, I was a very, um, I was a very skinny, uh, delicate child. And my eyes were big. And, and I had, when I started speaking, I had an adult voice. I, didn't ha I never had a child's voice. In fact, uh, my aunt, she loved to tell the story of me going to my grandfather's funeral and walking up to the casket and, you know, and, and being lifted up and, and saying, somebody's dead here and I think it's my granddaddy. And it just freaked everybody out in the room <laughs> because I had this adult voice <laughs> with this baby body, you know. And, um, and talk about my, the conception of my parents. My, my father had been diagnosed sterile. He could not have children. And um, so they tried to have me for like seven years. And one day, um, my mother peed in a jar and took it to see, you know, if she was pregnant. And there was a spider uh, inside of the uh, specimen. And so the doctor came out and said, well, you're going to have a little spider. So spider became my nickname for, for many, many years. So that was um, the beginning of, of coming to the planet. And um, my father was very, uh, he knew that he was sterile. So it's like um, he treated me very standoffish for a few years. 
because he didn't feel like that he was my actual father. In fact, what actually happened, my mother told me later, many, many years later, that the night that uh, I was conceived, there was this blue light that came in, and it was a round ball of blue, and it came down over my father's body as they were making love, and that somehow some kind of galactic DNA was actually spun into some kind of energy with with my earth father as a deliverance system but genetically I was at that point in time a hybrid you might say and isn't this kind of uh, birth more common than people would think it is more common but of course you know in 1942 it wasn't <laughs> no one was talking about anything like this uh, in those years but years later when I became very, very involved in all of this work, I started finding all kinds of women that had had um, these conceptions and these births. I, I was running into women um, that had not even had sex with a man that were, were becoming pregnant. And, of course, back in our vault, we have the stories of vanishing twins. And uh, for those who haven't heard that particular radio show, it's very enlightening because of of the uh, the depth that we go into uh, with <clears throat> how this happens with uh, the vanishing twins. So from a very young age, you were conscious, you were literate, and did this psychic ability start showing at a pretty early age? I didn't really think of it as psychic because I didn't know what that was growing up. I mean, it's like I thought everybody... You know, when you wake up in a world and and you you hear thoughts and you can just do things, you you don't know that you're different until somebody actually points it out and say, oh well, you're different. So it was around the age of ten when I realized that that I kind of had to slow down and not say and do certain things because it was getting me in trouble. It was getting me in trouble in in Sunday school at church. It was getting me in trouble in my in my class uh, at school, and especially my dad was in politics, so we we had the governor of our state come and and have dinner, and of course I had to pop off and say something like, well, when are you going to marry your secretary? Of course, everybody just dropped their knife and fork at that point, (laughs) and and of course years later he did. So uh, I, I found that my... My one-liners or my <laughs> the statements that would come out of my mouth, you know, these, this adult voice out of a child's body, was starting to really alarm people, and they became kind of frightened of me. So I had to I had to dial it back. And you had a rough time in school because they weren't you the only girl. I was for for yes, for five years um, I was the only girl in my class, and uh, there were nine boys and me. So that was that was pretty rough. That was pretty rough. Yeah. Well, it's it's hard enough being <laughs> being a kid surrounded by kids, but uh, in a very small town, uh, it was really hard for you to blend in, was it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There was no blending in. And our population was 500. I lived out uh, three miles away from the town, and it was. Uh, a very strong education growing up on the farm. You know, I gathered eggs. I 
I uh, milk cows, I chop cotton, I pick cotton. Uh, we, one year we had 80, 86 acres of potatoes. I dug potatoes and we had potatoes in our cellar for two or three years. <laughs> we raised peacocks. We had like 75 peacocks. And at four o'clock in the morning, they all decided to yell help at once. So it's like I kept saying, why do we have <laughs> these these birds that keep waking us up at four every morning? I never got an answer to that. They were pretty, <laughs> but they but they had no function. <laughs> right. So you really had the little farm girl, isolated rural America upbringing. Absolutely. And did this psychic ability um, run in your family? Yes, my mother, my grandmother, and my mother uh, were both very, very extremely um, in tune with just so many different things. In fact, my my grandmother and I had the same birth date. Um, she was born in eight, uh, 1889, and we had the same birth date. So there were things that were very similar in uh, uh, understandings between me and my grandmother. Mm. Now, and and my granddad. Uh, my granddad on on my mother's side was a Middleton that was kin to the author Middleton that actually signed the Declaration of Independence. When we look back in our genealogy, we did we did find that. And later on, I started understanding more about my bloodline and my connection to um, the laws that were written in those times, the Declaration of Independence, and I call it Ben and the Boys because there was a group of of Pleiadian instructions that was laid down on our planet so that the United States would be able to take the lead in bringing the the laws back to the land and it was it was through some of these highly advanced beings that were allowed to come to the planet to set this in motion and you know Belva our friend Belva she was also part of the declaration of independence her her ancestors also signed it and I believe his name was George Taylor. Wow. So when you, I've heard you refer to Ben and the boys over the years, obviously Ben Franklin, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington. Uh, how big of a group was this? It was a pretty big group. There was there was two to 300 um, people that were really uh, instrumental in, in their bloodlines and in their, in their desire to bring freedom Freedom was the watchword. Freedom was the big, the big push. It was like if we can't have freedom to do what we want to do on the planet, then what's 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 the reason for being here? So it was a, it was a plan that was put in motion for for many many years. The bloodlines were actually tracked and and put in a uh, a way of streamlining consciousness so that this particular group that was coming to the planet at that time would be in sync with what needed to be done with the laws of the land. And is there a star marking that that reflects this connection on your chart? You know, when I started finding out about the the star markings, the 25, 26, 27 degrees of the signs, I... um, I was kind of disappointed in my chart because I didn't have any planets that were 25, 26, or 27 degrees. However, every one of my house cusp, my rising sign, uh, of course, is 26 Virgo. And so all the way around the wheel, I had 26 or 27 
um, and and then later on I realized that I was actually attuned to the 12 time zones of the zodiac, which gives a person uh, an additional tracking device. I would call it. It's like it's it's like if you're standing out in the middle of a field and you're you know going around and around like the sound of music. It's it's like you're tuning into all of the 12 time zones at once so that you collectively can pull into your system at any given time that particular frequency that's going to to help you with the decision that you're having to make. So is there one of these 12 star markings uh, on your house cusps that, that you would say point to Ben and the boys? Um... It would be 26 cancer. You know, I've never been asked that before. Let me give that some thought. Let me just, uh... yes, now that, okay, I, I think that what I'm finding about the laws of the land has to do with several different markings. It isn't just one. I, I noticed that the 25, 26, and 27 of cancer and Capricorn that seems to be a, a frequency by tracking bloodlines. And then I find that the Aquarius and Leo part, it's a combination that, that comes in and reinforces because the leadership, the law of the land, bringing, making sure that the laws are uh, in accordance to how uh, the old scientists and the old beings from Atlantis would would. Um, not be able to come through that frequency and start using it for negative results. In other words, when you have the balance of Cancer, Capricorn, Leo, and Aquarius, when you have those four things working, it seems to bring up the memories of the laws of the land, cosmic law coming to earth law and back again. I, I, I wish I had a better explanation for it, but that's that's about all I can say at this time. Okay. So when was your first contact with ETs? Well, um, I, w- I think my conscious, I was contacted and, and a lot of things happened to me for many, many years without me even knowing about it. Um, they gingerly took me through all kinds of trials, tribulations, just to see how I could emotionally handle certain things on the planet. So when I think about a a first contact, the one that really, really stands out in my mind is when I was in um, Los Angeles. I was at the Academy of, of Atlantis. I was studying astrology, and we started having um, contact with extraterrestrials, and one happened to show up in my bedroom, and uh, it was the first time that I can remember that I actually got to have a uh, one-on-one contact with a being that was in my physical space, and his name was Pre, and he was very, very tall, was, you know, like over seven feet tall, and um, he was blue, he had three rows of teeth, and his um his skin was very um, kind of reminded me of of dolphin skin and and yet it was a little rubbery it was kind of rubbery skin 
but had a very sweet, kind disposition and was able to send thoughts to me by mental telepathy. There was no words that were used. He he would use mental telepathy in, in, uh, in the context that I had with him. He was around me for, for some time. He would come and go, and I got over being afraid of him. At first, you know, you're startled when you see something that's out of your comfort zone. But as time went on, I, I had a comfort with him. And he was actually the one that uh, explained to me that I had a, a double pineal and that I had I was getting headaches and I and I went to a doctor and they um, examined me and told me that I had a tumor on my pineal and it needed to be removed and um, I, I went back and told the group that I was living with uh, what the doctor had said and they said oh they try to remove that they'll kill you and you can't have that operation and so uh, I was told that that I was genetically engineered to have this double pineal, which means later on that they would come and go through this uh, entry place in my in my head, and that I would live in one side of it, and they would come and go on the other side. But that wouldn't be activated for many years to come. So you had gone to Los Angeles to study astrology and metaphysics because of a traumatic event that happened. So we just back up a little bit here and uh, tell us about uh, meeting Jim and that message that was left for you inside your locked car. So we're looking at, let's see, what year was this? I believe it was about 19... 1968, and um, I was I was working for a radio station. I was a sales manager of a radio station, and I would call on my on my clients for advertising. And every time I would call this person, this Jim person, uh, he would make an appointment, but would never show up. He just would never show up. I'd go there, and he just wouldn't show. And this went on three or four times. So one day I was at a restaurant, restaurant bar. It was a place where a lot of advertising people went and and took their clients and it was always a drinking uh place. People drank a lot in the in the 60s and 70s through their client meetings. And so I went in one day and sat down and uh and so Jim walks in and and I heard I heard them say his name and I got up and I went over and I just put my finger right in his face I said why have you canceled all the meetings that we had he looked me straight in the eye and he said I'll tell you why he said from the minute I heard your name I was lost I was in love with you and I knew that I knew you from another lifetime and I've been having dreams about you and I was just dreading the day that I was going to have to meet you in person because I knew that you were going to change my life now all of that came out of his mouth and I'm just standing there (laughs) And I'm going, what are you talking about? So we went over and sat down, and I remembered him ordering white Russians. And I started and I started drinking white Russians. We both started drinking white Russians. About after the third or fourth um, white Russian, I realized that I was in deep doo-doo with this, with this person and that something was happening that was totally out of my awareness at the time. 
and and there was an energy that I felt about him. I I knew that I knew him. I knew he was right about everything he said, but I couldn't verbalize that at the time. So finally I just said, you know what, I have to go. I, I just have to go. So I went out to my car, and I got in. It was a little Toyota, and um, I got in the car, and the car was locked. I unlocked the door, went inside, and when I got in, it was like somebody had taken their finger, and they wrote on the windshield uh, a date, and it says February 12th, um, 1972. You will have this man for three years and no more. Well, I just freaked out. I thought, my goodness, what in the world is this? So I, I only lived about five blocks from this restaurant bar, and I had had quite a bit to drink. So I just, you know, really drove slowly got into my apartment, I called my boss and I said, you know, you've been wanting me to go to Las Vegas to, to do that do bill, so I'm ready to go. Can I go tomorrow? I knew that I just, I needed to get away from this person. It was just really um, something I needed to flee from. But when I got back from Las Vegas, um, nothing really changed and we started seeing each other and then to make a long story short, on the day that I w that we were to be married, he died of a heart attack uh, that morning. We were to be married that night, and he died that morning. He went in for a um, a heart exam, and they put him on a treadmill. He he went back uh, home, laid down, and he died. I went into absolute shock, and I was not in very good shape for a couple of years. I drank a lot, and I had vision. He would come to me and talk to me. I had communication with him. And if I was dating someone um, that he didn't like, then he would do things like it, it, he would take a coffee cup, turn it upside down in the guy's lap. Or or if I took somebody home, they would pick up things in the house and just things would go flying across the room. <laughs> so it's like I have a lot of stories about those two years, but I won't go into it now. But anyway, mm. uh, so when I went to to Los Angeles, uh, a friend of mine who was a movie producer, he said, I think you need to meet um, Dana Marshall, who has the Academy of Atlantis. And I went there, and I wanted to study astrology. I wanted to find out what happened to, to Jim after he died. And he was around me for quite a while. But one day he came to me, and he said, I have to be born now. I'm going to leave, but I must tell you that your friend Erlene, uh, she's in trouble. You need to call her right away. So... I called and there was no answer, and um, finally I got a hold of her husband, and I said, I, he said, well, she left some time ago. I said, well, look out in the driveway. He went out in the driveway, and she was um, hanging over the steering wheel. She'd had a heart attack. And that was the last communication that I had with Jim um, at, that, at that time. But it, what it did was it really broke me open to other possibilities of existence. So my time at the Academy Atlantis was just mind-blowing every day because Dana Marshall, she was in contact with beings off-world and they were sending information about a lot of different things at that time and I was of course very very interested in everything that happened. And at that time I, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the story but there was something about Will Rogers. How did that come up? Well, it, I I had um, actually dated Will Rogers' nephew, 
and and he had asked me to marry him and um and I'd always felt bad because um I, he was a politician and my parents wanted me to do it but you know I just I just didn't love him that way so Frenette, who was a channel with Dana, uh, she called me upstairs and she said, here's a message uh, for you today, and it's from Will Rogers. And I thought, Will Rogers? Why would he be giving me a message? And it says, do not hearken back on this person because you, you were never meant to, to go in that direction. And, there, and then a whole explanation of things that were to happen to me in the future were, were explained to me. And, and it was signed by Will Rogers. And I said, you know what, I, I've been to the Will Rogers Museum. I'm going to take this handwriting, and I'm going to go over there and see if it matches. So I went over to the Will Rogers Museum, and sure enough, the signature that was on this paper matched the signature that I was looking at. Wow. And, and then later on, uh, when I went back and I said, can I have another um, meeting with Will Rogers, um, I asked, I said, tell me about one of your incarnations. He said, well, one of my incarnations was Judas. And the reason that I came back as Will Rogers in this lifetime was to bring the laughter back to the people after so much had been written about what I had done, which at that time explained that all the stories that had been written about him were truly bogus. Right. I mean, he had a great selfless act in compliance with the request of Jesus. Right. uh, That's right. Yeah. Wow. So let's uh, fast forward a little bit here. For those that haven't listened to your featured episode, which is called Crack Between the Worlds, uh, can you just tell us a little bit about how you met George Van Tassel? Well, Belva Bloomer of course, um, is someone that throughout throughout my existence with her has always turned me on to what I need to do next. <laughs> and so we were in, in, in Las Vegas. I was uh, doing astrology sessions in a little room uh, in Belva's Beauty Shop. And one day she said, you know, you just need to meet George Van Tassel. You need to go to Giant Rock. Can we make that appointment? So we got in the car, and she and I and her husband, we we drove uh, down to uh, Yucca Valley to where the Integraton was in George, and we started having uh, meetings in his living room. And this went on for, I would say, probably six or seven trips before the the big walk that I took with George that day, you know, out on the in the sand dunes, which totally changed my world. But in nineteen seventy seven, um George George died and uh when he died, then I realized that what he had passed on to me on that walk that day in the in the sand dunes had much more emphasis but I didn't really realize it at the time. It's like I put it on hold, but then later on I realized that what I had gone through in this relationship with George, that he was preparing me for something that I could not even begin to imagine that was going to be happening to me. And in that walk that we took that day, and when he would speak to me about walk-ins and the Tesla kids and the inventions and space travel and uh, parallel worlds and 
well, you name it. He he had he was bringing it up, you know. And then we'd walk for a while and in silence because he he would see how much that I was taking in and absorbing, and then he would speak again. And all of this, it was like so much was crammed into my brain at once that at times I thought my brain was going to explode. But what he actually did for me was to give me the heads up on some programs that had been placed in my blood, in my genetics, that were going to match what I was going to be doing later on on the planet. But the heavy thing that was told to me was that once I had this information, I had to put it in a bank vault and that I couldn't be distributing it for over, I had to wait and sit on it for 25 years at least. Now, I'm a Sagittarian, and to tell a Sag that she has to keep her mouth shut for 25 years about anything, (laughs) I mean, I mean, you know, I was born with a, my mouth was like a torn pocket. It was just flapping all the time. So that was a very um, hard thing for me to do. However, I was allowed to, to have an inner circle that would know about this information. And, of course, one of those people was Belva Bloomer. And uh, so I and, – and a few other people that I, I had, uh, had met along the way, I would take them aside and show them – certain portions of the material that was in the it was in the bank vault but it was hard but mostly they told me that the the people that were born after 1980 were the ones that would really appreciate and would know what it would mean to read the material or to know how things worked on the planet concerning humans and extraterrestrials so i'm i'm noticing now that i get a lot more clients on the website that are born after 1980. There's a whole group of of young people that are starting to show up that were born in in, in the early 80s. And so every time I I see one of them, I think, oh, you know, so maybe this information is for you. And sometimes I go a little deeper. When When I find a person that has a lot of 25, 26, or 27 degree planets and they're born after 1980, I really pay special attention to some of the information that I'm, I'm uh, giving to them because I know that they're possibly more open for it than maybe the ones that were not born before that year. And even after um, after eighty seven, there have been several um, kind of waves of souls coming to the planets um, that you have talked about before. But you know, I can I can say that I'm noticing the same thing. Um, people born in the eighties and nineties are probably more than half of of the people that find their way to the website or the radio show and they're just loaded with star markings. I know. It's amazing. Yeah, it's like how does this happen? And it's happening all over the world. It's happening from from Australia and New Zealand and and South Africa and England. You know, people are just I'll say, "How did you find us?" They said, "Well, I was just surfing the website and you came up and I just I read your website and I just had to find you and that and I'm hearing that more and more. Aren't you hearing that more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there is a um, there's a, a saying that well I don't know it's a quote actually uh, that you were given saying truth knows its own source. So when star seeds start reading some truth, they just resonate with it on a very intuitive and, and deep level. 
And it's I know that I see the same thing. I'll see pockets of people. And I think, what do these people all know each other? <laughs> because there'd be certain areas of the country. Yeah. Or then you'll get patterns where uh, I remember one day I had five people show up, all born in February. Different years, different parts of the world. But it's almost like there are, there are certain signals or triggers. And totally unrelated, unacquainted people show up on the same day within a few hours. Right. And and there's some common thing. And it, it does it does go in patterns and waves. So we do do have a, a unique perspective on the on the ebb and flow and the and the um, activation of the starseed bloodlines on the planet. And one of the things that I'm noticing is like um you know, I will schedule someone um a month or two in advance and I don't do their charts before I schedule them but what I noticed uh, on this one particular occasion I had scheduled two women one lived in Wisconsin I believe the other one lived uh, I think in Colorado they had same they were born in the same month and the same year and they both had the same desire to do hypnotherapy for people that had had abductions I thought that was the most unusual thing that, that I mean to have both women one was at three o'clock one was at five o'clock that day and both of them were expressing a desire to to, to learn and to go to school and to to be a, a hypnotist to help people that were suffering from being abducted by ETs, and I just thought that was over the top. I know there's so much that happens that can't possibly be a coincidence. There is some some grand design, and uh, we get we get the clues, but maybe not all of the answers for how come that happened. And didn't George tell you that after that that giant rock would split? And that would be your signal. Absolutely. That's when we took that walk that day out, out on the on the sand dunes, and um, he was to impart this uh, information to me. And then he said, "Look over there at that rock." And, and I said, "Yeah." And he's and um, he said, "One day, he said that rock is going to crack. It's going to split. And when it does, he said that will be the signal for you to take information out of the bank vault." after you've written it for so many years, for you to, to um, take the information out and start to, uh, giving it to the people. And, of course, I looked at him like he was totally nuts. <laughs> it's like, oh, my, oh, I've got a bank vault. Oh, I'm going to be writing. And, oh, by the way, the, the rock's going to – that huge – I mean, this is a huge rock. I mean, it's like, what in the world can possibly crack that rock? Well, guess what? It was lightning that cracked the, that cracked the rock. Or – you might say lightning from the ship because right. they can produce lightning from the ship. And I, of course, got to find out about that up close and personal <laughs> through my three <laughs> three direct lightning strikes. And then I have seven stories of lightning strikes, which are, again, back in the archives. It's a very interesting story about me and lightning. Wow. So in March this year, we are celebrating five years on the air. And a lot of the journals that you've been uh, speaking about is is in our archives in various 
shows, but in all of the, the journals, you use a vocabulary of galactic terms. And I remember that when we first met in 1991, I wasn't sure about what some of those terms meant. And you use them just, you know, like every day past the salt. Uh, and and I've been getting questions uh, through the email with people needing definitions. So let's just play um, dictionary here for a minute and give us some definitions of of these terms. First of all, when you refer to frequency. Frequency is a measurement, it's a mathematical measurement of energy that is running in a person's thought mechanism or it's running in their physical mechanism or their emotional mechanism. It's a frequency by which it jumps from one place to another. And it's, it's like a wave of, vibra- it's a vibration. It is a vibration. Would you liken it to like a musical note? Yes, yes, it's like a musical note. And these, and these musical notes will come in combination to give a code. It's like a, a frequency will activate, say, a color. A color and a frequency combined with, say, a quartz crystal or with a thought emanation, and then pretty soon there's a code that starts, it's, it's like a, an energy that starts building and once it uh, is seen or felt by a person, then they'll go, oh, that makes me think of my next thought. Or it makes me think of, of something warm and fuzzy. Or maybe it makes me think of something that I knew a long time ago, a code. The reason I use the word code is because it's placed there to be activated for the person that's to interpret the code. In, in other words... Say you see 1111 on your clock. That's a code. And people's heads will just jerk to the clock, and they'll go, whoo, there's 1111. Now, what makes a person's head jerk and look at 1111? Because there's something kind of invisible in your frequency that's uh, being reminded of this particular code on the clock. And 1111 means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. But what I've come to know is that it it is the place where you're about to make a giant leap in evolutionary thought. It's the place where, you know, sometimes a person will wait to the 11th hour to pay a bill or, may, or, or the 11th hour to make a plane reservation or – and then they'll – They'll go, oh, what do I do this? What do I wait to the 11th hour? And most people beat themselves up for this. But what I say is wait till the 11th hour because it gives you the advantage of the last moment to make that decision, to pull that trigger on your desired energy move where you want it to be effective. Am I I making myself clear about the 11-11? Yeah, yeah. I would uh, ask you if this if this is similar when a hypnotist, for example, you know they do shows and things like that, and they will give someone a post hypnotic suggestion, and then they walk around totally normal. But when they hear someone say, you know, crackers, then it, then a behavior begins. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like that, it, isn't it? It is. It is like that. 
So the code is something that can sit there dormant until something triggers it, and then an activation, a behavior, um, a realization, an awakening of some kind happens, and those all those codes have frequencies, like like notes on a musical scale. And as you said, when you you can put several things together, for people that are familiar with music, if you have a a minor triad, it sounds like sad sadness. Mm-hmm. And if you have a major triad, mm-hmm. it sounds happy. That's right. So you put these things together, and there's a recognition on a on a very intuitive kind of level. It doesn't necessarily happen in your in your intellect, but these things will spawn new areas of thought new areas of activity and I mean all kinds of things can happen when when these timers or codes are activated through frequencies so so this 25 26 27 is a code it's an astrological code but it also matches the code in the DNA there's a DNA there's a starseed DNA that's in your blood that's in correspondent to your 25 26 27 degrees planets in your chart that when those two things come together, they activate, and the code's activated, and then the person, uh, think of think of the cells in the body having little bitty eyes. Think of these millions of little eyes that are shut, and all of a sudden, this code is activated, and all the little eyes just wake up. All the cells go, whoop, and their eyes are open, and they start moving, they start functioning, and all of a sudden, the person is is so awake to so many things they go wow how did i get so awake about this about what i'm reading or what i'm seeing or or look at that person across the street how do i know about him now i didn't know about him before it's like everything in them just becomes heightened in in awareness and those are the kind of codes when they activate that 25 26 or 27 degrees they'll activate the bloodlines they'll activate it it's a timer and this is a place that I probably should say, after I found out about the codes of 25, 26, 27, and I worked with them for, what, three and a half years very closely, the thing that really, I mean really, took me around the bend <laughs> and down the rabbit hole and back again was, was when they took me aboard ship and they took a drop of my blood and they put it up on a screen. They put the chart up for me to see where all my planets were and all my houses and all the degrees, the way I write them. And I said, you mean you can take one drop of blood and you know where I was born, what time I was born, and where I was born? And they said, yes. And I just, I said, oh, take me back now. And they took me back. (laughs) And I laid in my bed and looked at the ceiling for about three days. I mean, I couldn't. I got up to eat, go to the bathroom, came back, looked at the ceiling, looked at the ceiling. It was like my brain was kind of paralyzed. It was like it stopped at a place, and I couldn't go any further with my brain until something would release. That's the only way I can explain it. But we had to digest it. It was more than that. It was like I was in a freeze frame. I was like I was paralyzed with the thought, and I didn't. I didn't know that a thought could paralyze you. Okay, it was like. I was almost afraid to breathe. I was afraid to move. It was like, oh, it was 
it was a moment in time that, and I knew that I needed to crystallize it and then I needed to do something with it because I knew this was the big moment that everything was going to change for me. And sure enough, it did because it was after that that I was able to relax with the, with the thought about how the bloodlines and the astrological information were coming together in an evolutionary form, in human form, that was going to take our planet into its next stage. This is one of the ways that that these kinds of uh, projects were being placed on the planet. And so my trip to Cairo, my work with the Pleiadians, uh, going aboard the starship Bethlehem, all of that started making a whole lot of sense when I when I started putting it all together. Now, you got to remember that I wasn't allowed to do lectures. I wasn't allowed to go to UFO conferences. I I was only allowed to work with high-profile people at that time on their assignments. So the world at large wasn't to know anything about me. In fact, the people that I did work with that were high-profile, you know, I was constantly saying to them, you've got to keep me a secret. You cannot let this out about me because I won't be able to help you and I won't be able to do my other work. So all this was done for, you know, 25 years, secreted away from from prying eyes. And it was hard, like I said, hard for a Sag to keep her mouth shut all that time. Well, you had to protect the the sanctity of the information. And that kind of brings me to the to the next definition because you use this a lot and uh, I've had people ask me about what is spin. I can only uh, say let me just try to explain it in an example. It's like when when I get ready to to lay down a heavy statement or something that I know is about to change that person's world or something that the aha moment, something that's really going to go wow, what a thought. Sometimes it's important to give that energy to that person, disconnect from that person, and spin your energy and walk away. Let them keep it. Don't let them stay attached to you so that it will build between the two of you. Because once you give it to the person, you need to disconnect and spin and walk away. It's because it's their experience it's it's not for you to stay and monitor. It's not for you to to stay attached to it. Uh, it keeps you out of codependency. Okay, mm-hmm. I don't like people to be de- uh, codependent on me. Uh, in fact, most of the people that I give sessions to, they get it all in one session. They don't really need to come back. However, a lot of people want to have their solar returns done so that's an exception a solar return reading with me is much different than the first session that I will do with a person in the first session I'll find out your natural state your rites of passage I'll look at your cosmic bank account I'll see the different lifetimes that you've lived and the credits that you have and your debits but what I really focus on in this in this one hour session that you'll have with me is your credits because if you happen to know about the wonderful masterships from other lifetimes it's like riding a bicycle you never quite forget that you can zip that credit card of your soul and say you come here i need you now and literally bring up that talent whether it's an artist a musician 
are a designer, a public speaker, you know, someone that has leadership abilities from other lifetimes. I've seen people with five planets in Leo that are sitting over in a corner saying, I don't know what I'm here for. And then I say, well, look at these five planets in Leo. This this is the mark of leadership. This is the mark of where you step out and and decide that you want to take a stronger role with with your your friends and family. And I've had several people to go, yeah, I've never had the courage to do that. So sometimes it just takes a little nudge and a little pushing in that direction for a person to grab a hold of their natural state and their rites of passage and then take off on their life. Well, those are two more terms that I um, wanted to talk about. A natural state? Natural state is what you're born with. What you're born with. When I look at a chart and, and I see the ascendant, the sun, the moon, Mercury, Saturn, Jupiter, all the planets, and they make a configuration, they make a harmonic. And so there's a, a song. It's like a song that someone is singing. When I hear a person's voice, and I look at their chart, a third file opens in my head, and then I start tracking the cosmic uh, blueprint. And I'll look at the center, and, I, and, I, and I'll have them look at their chart and say, see that in the center? Think of that as your personal crop circle. That's your symbol. You know, look at that often, because you may not know what it says, but it knows you. And I've had three people um, contact me and say, you know, we were looking at those charts, for several days one man said I flew to France and found uh, my beloved and I moved there another lady said I got the courage to divorce my husband uh, a third woman said I quit my job and and I and I moved to Sedona Arizona so it's like and I didn't know that was happening they had to tell me that this was happening they would laminate them stick them on the refrigerator they were looking at them daily and all of a sudden there was a message that was coming through it was a code it was their code it was like a remembrance code. You see, when we come to the planet, we come with no remembrance. And a lot of people say, well, why is that we come down here and we can't remember? If you could remember all of your lifetimes at once, you would go insane. The first thing that would happen to you would be, oh, that person killed me. Well, I'm going to go kill them. Or, oh, that person betrayed me. Oh, well, let's figure out a way to betray them. Your judgment is high. Once you know that you're living with Darth Vader, what is it you want to do? You want to take his head off. <laughs> so you, so what happens is they give us non-remembrance. We have a clean slate. We have no memory of what's happened before with all these people. That way we can start with a fresh, clean bill of galactic health. Because now we can have a relationship and let it build on its own without having memories of betrayal, of murder, of being a victim, or whatever has happened in the past. Now, you do have the bleed-throughs. The bleed-throughs sometimes will help you to understand more about why you're with that person. But sometimes it can be downright dangerous to go back into past lives. Because if you don't have the conditioning about judgment, if you're not into alignment with yourself, if you don't know yourself well enough to do that, then don't go there. So that's why I try to teach people to learn astrology. Learn about your planets. Learn about your natural state, your rites of passage. You know, when you have um, masterships, 
take those master ships and really fine-tune them. If you have places where you're vulnerable, then get in there and do some scrubbing and, 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 and clean them out and get them to stand up straight to where no one can come along and tap you in your vulnerabilities and lead you down a rabbit hole that you can't get out of. Know yourself. If you know yourself, then you'll be on top of your game because, believe you me, other people will know you better than you know yourself and they will have the advantage over you. And this can be a rough ride. So what I'm hearing is that you think of the natural state as a particular kind of a uniform that you're born with. And then as you go through your life, other people uh, get you clothing that's not yours and you wear it. <laughs> and thinking and thinking that, oh, this is my shirt and these are my pants. And as you get farther and farther away from that natural uniform that you were born with, then you don't have access to your rites of passage, which is like your karmic bank account of all of your past diplomas and certificates and graduations and masterships because it's like, well, wait a minute, you haven't got the uniform on, you can't come in here. So when you get to your natural state, when you find out what that is, either through your own astrological research or you know talking to you or, or me, then you can um, get that that natural uniform back on so that when you go through the the rites of passage it's like oh yes it's you come on through and you have access to all of that so that's you can't get to your rites of passage unless you have alignment which is like uh, congruence with your natural state uh, it's like singing is you have to be singing in key and if you're not singing on key then you're not in alignment and, and again, you can't quite get that door to open. It, well, and what you said about, well, I, I got a vision of um, you, you grow up in a family and, and, and your mother gives you the blouse and your father gives you the trousers and, and your school teachers give you the shoes. And, 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 then, and then later on in your life you go, I don't want to wear this blouse anymore or these pants or these shoes. It's not me. I, I'm doing something that, that I was born into in, in a family, and I thought they knew what they were doing when they gave me this blouse and, and, and pants and shoes, but this, not, this is not why I came to the planet. So it's like all of a sudden when, when, you, when you wake up and go, wow, you know, I see now that, that the people that raised me, um, they, were, they were fine people. I love them dearly, but I have to go on now. And I have to give them their clothes back. I have to get new clothes. Or maybe I have to stand on here totally naked until the new clothes show up. <laughs> until your original clothes come back. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I had a question on our forum uh, the other day where a, a person wanted to understand what is tracking and why is it important. Um. I use the term tracking when I it's galactic tracking that I do. It's it is it's um it's not an earth term. It's a it's a term that I use when I am am tracking a person's essence through either lifetimes or through their bloodlines or a combination of their astral it's a combination of astrological bloodline and their masterships and it's a form of tracking that I use that gives me the information so that I'm 
I'm able to turn around and tell the person uh, more that they need to know about where they're going in their future and why they're here on the planet. So um, galactic tracking is something that very few people can do. As a matter of fact, I don't think I've ever heard anyone do it except for you. But on a on a more third-dimensional level, there it is still important for all of us to be able to track energy because sometimes, um, you know, they say what goes around comes around. Well, sometimes when it comes back around, it has been either expanded or mutated in some way when you get... uh, uh, <laughs> I just picture somebody walking through the park and they just happen to be in in the right place at the wrong time and the pigeon passes overhead and, and you know, squirts on them. And, and people's like, well, why did that happen? And if you can track it, you know, tracking what goes around comes around, a lot of times things that happen in our lives are a consequence of something that we might have put into motion a long time ago. And it's coming back around, and, and it, it comes in the side door, and a lot of people never really um, put it together that this was the culmination of uh, cause, an uh, action. Cause and effect. Well, yeah. Yeah, but you can't, you can't um, understand that if you can't track right. the cause to the effect and see all the things that happened along the way. There's a lot of different levels of tracking, and, and on, a, on a day-to-day level, it's just really important to to use your energy in in full consciousness and, you know, realizing what your words are, how they're affecting other people. Because sometimes you can, you can say something and you didn't mean anything by it, uh, you know, negative, but it goes out, it, it grows, it gets distorted, and it comes back around and hits you in the side of the head, and you wonder, well, what did I, why did I do, how did that happen? And uh, that's where tracking is, is really, um, I think, helpful. In addition to tracking planetary energies, because sometimes we think that if you had a day when you get all the red lights and everybody is, is cross with you and and you come home and you're like geez oh man what was that all about that's when for me um retroactive tracking has taught me so much because i have learned over the years about the various um energies like 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 notes like keys of songs and when I have a day like that, I was like, man, that sure did smell like a Mars transit to me. And I'll go and I'll, I'll, I'll check my, my transits and see if there is some interaction between either my natal Mars or um, transiting Mars affecting something in my chart. And every single time, every single time, there's been a correlation. So that can really help us in, in tracking transit daily kind of energies in understanding what you own and what you don't own and it saves you from beating yourself up a whole lot and trying to read things into things that happen when it was just a Mars transit you know it's gone in a couple of days and and that was that so yeah tracking your transits uh, there's another type of tracking that I think is really really valuable we've already talked about 
activation, and I've also heard you use the term auric field. Can you just give us a quick definition of that? Yes. Um, I'm finding out that these 25, 26, 27 degree planets, when they get in your DNA and they're activated, they, they kind of spin into some kind of electromagnetic field that presents itself in an auric field around the body. And it can go from like six to nine feet out um, or, or larger. And, and when these are activated, you're, you're walking through crowds of people and people are walking past you. And it's like you're activating their blood. You're activating their um, latent DNA. Um, it's like once you become um, fully activated in your starseed codes, you'll be activating other people and you and you won't have to say a word you can just walk through their their energy field uh the person at the grocery store at the gas station or sitting at the airport you're activating people everywhere you go and this this is the real term of a light worker okay this is a light worker that's totally activated and out there like Johnny Appleseed uh, going through life probably not knowing what they're doing <laughs> just being happy and singing and 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 going through life in a in pleasant fashion, but at the same time probably activating thousands and thousands of people in their life, and they don't even know it. So when I do a chart and I find this, I tell the person, you've been an activator all your life. And when I first see it, I first see it at the moment of birth, and there's a configuration that I look for, and when I see this, I go, wow. Then I ask them, I said, did your mother... Um, have brain problems after you were born? Did she go into depression or did she turn on you at an early age? And the reason I say this is because the person that has this particular marking in their chart, when they come through the birth canal, it's like they gather up the last ounce of of energy from the womb space, it's like they go up and, and lick the bowl clean, okay? <laughs> as, they're, as they're coming out. And and the mother, she goes, oh, you took something from me. Wait a minute. I didn't want you to have that. <laughs> okay. I'm yeah. kind of exaggerating here, but that's kind of. And so the person comes out, and then they have this golden ray about them. They become the prodigal child. They become the beloved or whatever. And all the rest of the family gangs up on them later in life. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, and, that that can certainly happen. And that's and that's because this 25, 26, 27 degree is activated in the bloodline with the mother who has probably had a very strong bloodline that's being passed to begin with because that's why the soul chose the mother in the first place. So, it's a it's a a very um mathematical equation that happens at the moment of birth. Uh, with harmonics, frequencies, bloodline, astrological timing, and and just simple delivery of light. Delivery of light. Wow. And there are, I mean, there are other other markings for those kind of activator. Oh yeah. Um, secret agent types, and yeah. you know that really, so many star seeds have this feeling. It's like I'm supposed to be doing something. I've got a mission, and and they can't they can't remember it because for probably a majority of star seeds the mission is just to be here and to be walking among the population 
and, and, and turning people's lights on. That's right. Or holding steady, staying in alignment, being the observer instead of the participant. And, and here's the other thing I want to say. Just because your friends are doing it doesn't mean you need to do it. It's like find out what has your name on it. If it doesn't have your name on it, don't do it. Say, let this cup pass my lips. I can't tell you how many times I've been able to look through another person's eyes and see what they're going through and go, wow, I see what you're, I see the experience you're having and I, I, I get it. And once you get it, then that means that you don't have to have that kind of experience because you say, I let this cup pass my lips. If you'll let another person's experience teach you, then that means you don't have to do it. But you have to have the consciousness to even have that kind of thought. True. True. So why did you coin the term starseed? I don't know why I did it, but I I know that I I did it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, let me rephrase that. When you, I, I believe that at one time you told me because you had read a book about star people. Yeah, star people. And you said that's not quite right. Well, I just I just remembered, you know, saying it's star it's a seed, it's a seed of the stars. And and so I just came up with the term star seed and that was back oh, that was back I guess in nineteen eighty when I came up with that. Seventy nine or eighty. It was it's in the very beginning of, of 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 my work that I came up with that that particular um phrase. And now I look at you know, millions of people on the planet use that term yes so that it all tracks back to that moment with you yeah so you have uh, already released masterful definitions of the various kinds of walk-ins and people can go back in our archives to get the full um, description of that but there's a new one that you call a drop by now how does that work well in the past uh, couple of years um, I've been noticing that um, there will be energies that will come and sit in my pineal, my other pineal, and they'll be there for like 10 minutes, or maybe they'll be there for a whole session. Um, and I call them drop-bys because once once they drop in and say whatever they're going to say and then they leave, um, and I might not ever have that particular drop-by again because it'll be for that person. It'll be that person's guide or energy or something that that someone has designated for for that person to know about and it just it just comes like a um a drop by it just drops in and then it just leaves and sometimes when it leaves it will do such an eraser that sometimes i don't even remember talking to the person sometimes when they leave abruptly or as they're as they're leaving my consciousness it seems to be like a a zip zap gone <laughs> and then i go whoa what was that and then then I, it's hard for me to replay what just happened if it's not recorded for me to hear it then i don't have it right right and now for someone like me who uh does not have a double pineal There are times when I know that, I mean, I can feel um, a sense of of energy or light, especially, you know, when I'm tuning into a particular chart or even just doing some other kind of um, work besides the the charts. And I just, I'm going to write something 
and the words just flow and and that's you can have a drop by even yeah. if you don't have a double oh, pineal, yeah. can't you? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And now I'm noticing that we have something that's been placed in our bodies well, at birth actually, and it and it wasn't activated till probably after 2012, and I call it the G, the galactic GPS system that's in our head. It's like there's a lot of of beings that have these crystalline quartz, amethyst, titanium structures that have been placed in our bodies that will grow and 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 rise up and and start being activated, and it's because we're beeping like beep 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 and then your beep beeping and then our beep beeps come together and, and there's signals it's like when when they when the projects start expanding from the ship they'll be uh guide helping to guide people on the planet and it's because of these gps galactic gps locators in people's heads that are beeping so that they can find one another i i'm probably not saying it the way i'm seeing it um no, I, but I think that's galactic GPS and and the the homing signal. It's a very um, yeah, it's a homing yeah. signal. Yeah, yeah. It's a homing signal that sure can be activated with the push of a button. And um, I mean, we're talking about very advanced technology, and it's it's a fail safe, and it helps to keep people on on track in um, in in pursuit of their mission or their purpose here. So how would how would a person know, or does a person always know if they have hosted a, a walk in or a drop by? Not not many people will be that conscious to say, oh, I just had a drop by, or oh, I just had a walk in. Sometimes they'll go, gee, that wasn't that strange. How did I know that? And 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 they won't take it any further. They won't go, well, how did I know? I I knew that, but I. It's like they don't track beyond what just happened to them. They won't take it to its next level. They'll just think that, oh, that was a strange thing. Wasn't that strange? Or or they won't give it the credence that that it should be given. And as I said, you, you covered walk-ins in great depth and, and detail in a past episode. But I've, I've just had some people say, like, I think I'm a walk-in. How can you tell? And I, and I thought, well, number one, you have to have the you have to have the frequencies in your in your DNA, in your blood, in your in your soul records. You have to have, as you use the the analogy about uh, like a car, you've got to have the power windows and the power brakes and the GPS built in and all of these you know really loaded kind of car. That would be a prerequisite, wouldn't it? Well, if you have to ask, you're probably not, okay? It's like most walk-ins, when presented with the, with the concept of of a walk-in, they'll either know immediately, oh, yeah, I'm one of those, or no, I'm not. I, there's something instant that happens when a, when, um, a metaphysical person, usually it's a metaphysical person that walk-ins happen with because they have a basic understanding you know in the in mm-hmm. in the in the brain but to to wake up and go oh everything's different today or maybe you'll look at your spouse and go you know what i don't want to be married anymore or i'm going to quit this job i'm going to travel um usually when a walk-in comes they 
they will come for two or three years in the situation of job and family, and then one day after that uh, that period of time is over is when they make their drastic change. But most walk-ins after a period of time will say, "I know, I know that I uh, I'm taking an assignment uh, through another body." Most of those things start happening after a while. Right, but they do have to finish up some, right. you know, unfinished business, and and then gradually right. the the shifts happen. And most of them are timed to certain world events, or certain like the timing of August twentieth of nineteen eighty seven, or, or or things that were monumental in our bloodline tracking. It's like the Pleiadian alignments for like from May 15th to the 20th or November 15th to the 20th. We know that those are the times when we get upgrades, when we get instructions from uh, space beings, from ETs, from angelic forces. You know, those of us that have been uh, involved with Pleiadian lineup for many, many years, we can, we can testify and see what happens to the people on the planet uh, right after these dates happen. Uh, th- this is a, a tracking that I've been doing for for over 30 years. Right, and again, tracking is like observing the clues and putting together the puzzle. Right, and making sure that the clues are all you know accurate. Right, but was it was there was a time, um, and I, I haven't quite got the chronology in my head, when you had to go to Cairo every night. Yes, it was. When was that? that? It was in, let's see, that was 19, let's see, 81. And um, there was a, a girl named Elizabeth Ficus that was going to Cairo, Egypt, and I had a whole bunch of quartz crystals to send uh, with her. I was told that she was to take them and to do certain things with them there. And I, ha- I had no idea, though, when I gave them to her, that I would actually be picked up uh, on the island of Catalina <laughs> by by ship and and taken inside the Great Pyramid of Giza uh, for these different uh, initiation um, that were going on with the Crystal Brotherhood, and these were the meetings that I was privy to uh, in 1981, and um, and that information of things that happened. Uh, have not been released by me yet. That's other things that will be released later on. How long did this go on? This went on from November 9th when it started, and it ended on the 30th of no, no, on the um, on the 29th of November. It ended the day that Natalie Wood died. So every night you had to be home, and and they just came and beamed you up, took you to Cairo. Right. You did your thing, and they brought you back, right. and then you woke up in the morning back in your bed in Catalina. That's right. That's and right. how did you handle how did you handle that? I um, it was it was a little difficult because again, I was uh, at that time I could only tell two people what was happening. I couldn't tell anybody else, and it was Belva, and then Thurman. And so I, my nervous system went through quite a a jolt. I uh, I got some kidney stones. I started bleeding. I got high fever. Uh, a lot of physical things started happening to me on the 29th of November. That was a big momentous day in your in your history. Right. 
for all the things that have happened that year. And, and you know, they make mistakes, believe it or not. Like, oops, we probably kept her too long. Oops, we, you know, we're going to have to correct. Look, you know, we we did this to her. Now look, that didn't work. It's like, and I know that you don't like for me to use the term experiment, but I was an experiment. They would experiment on me all the time. And they'd go, okay, that worked. Okay, that didn't work. Okay, she's going to have to go to bed now for a week. <laughs> and you and you think that they would know better, but they don't. <laughs> well, it's never been done before, that's, so how that's you know? Right. Uh, that's right. And they're and they're probably aware of the I don't know thousands of possible outcomes in in various universes and realities. But so they're they're about the Pleiadians are about. 3,500 years ahead of us in, in, in technology, yes. Catholic technology right. and, and spiritual development as well. That's right. So you had you just mentioned a bit ago about the Crystal Brotherhood, and you had a whole year of mastership training with the Crystal Brotherhood. Is that correct? Well, it, it wasn't just the Crystal Brotherhood. There was, a, there was a year that I was literally taken off the planet. And my my clone came down to be here that one year while I was gone. And in that one year, it w- was the training that I had with the Crystal Brotherhood and the different aspects of things that I was to bring back to the planet later on in my life. Again, those are things that are that are in the vault and not to be released yet. Right, right. So aren't there, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of starseeds on the planet actually do have clones for emergencies and Absolutely. special operations and things like that. So uh, no one really knew that it wasn't really you. That's right. Because That's right. She, she had, a what, a copy of all of your knowledge and memories. And, That's right. Uh, That's right. Knew everything that you knew. Yep. God, that just kind of warps my brain out. It's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that, you know, that's where I came up with: is it real or is it Memorex? Because I realized that we had a lot of Memorex walking around on the planet, <laughs> and, yeah. that, and that people just didn't know that they were clones. I mean, most of our major um, leaders in the world are cloned, and they will switch them out at different times. And that's been something that I have been tracking for a very long time about the different clones and walk-ins. How about a clone with a walk-in? If you think that's not a combination. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You, you don't want to take me there today. No, no. So I know we've had we've had some invisibility demonstrations, in particular um, one just a few years ago. But how do people, do they really become invisible or are they just unperceptible or imperceptible to other 3D humans? Well, there's there's two ways of looking at that. Like when they come to take me out of my bed, and I won't go through the wall. Actually, what they do is they, they put a, an energy down that goes through the wall. It's a change of a dimensional frequency, and they'll put me, it's like a tube, and they'll put me in the tube, and they'll shoot me straight to the next place, wherever it is I'm going, and in two or three seconds, I'm there people whose frequency gets so high that they actually start to phase out of the third dimension and they they seem to be invisible to other people. It's like a dog whistle. Well, they, but there's a bend of light that can happen around like a group, like the group that we had um, that disappeared in front of the driver. It, it's his con- Their consciousness had come together 
uh, in mass to where their vibration was higher than what he could see, and therefore he couldn't see them. Like a dog whistle that, right. that he couldn't hear. Right. It is a matter of, of physics and science rather than right, uh, right. supernatural kind of right. you know voodoo stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So one of your assignments was to train Shirley MacLaine in galactic discernment, and I know your journals about the years you spent with her are yet to be released, but can you mention a, a couple high points or low points? I don't think I want to go there. Okay. Well, next I want to talk about something that is very current and timely, because, as most of our listeners have already learned, twice a year there are huge galactic meetings at the Tetons, uh, the first week of January and the first week of July. So can you tell us anything about the Teton meetings? So you can, like, general information about what they are, who shows up, and if you have any, it may be a little soon to release anything about the current meetings, but... Tell me what that's about. Well, it was designed many, many years ago to bring bloodlines and consciousness together so that there would be an ebb and flow that would be happening on the planet that would have to do with law and the lack of it. And it had to do with Ben and the boys, a lot of it. I, I say Ben and the boys because mostly the the meetings that would take place every six months, even back when the Declaration of Independence was being penned, it was because of those meetings in the Tetons that they were able to get their head on straight on what they needed to do when they came back from the meetings. So it, it would take many, many bloodlines and galactic beings to come and fuse the future in a a systematic way that would be the ebb and flow of people's cause and effect and also how they would go forward with technology, with community relationships, how to get along, how to take care of the planet, uh, trees, water, space travel, everything would be in its own time. So a lot of beings from different places chose to come and be of assistance to their bloodlines and would be instructors, not to the point where they tell them what to do, or they wouldn't interfere and give them things that would be ahead of their time. They wanted everyone to discover for themselves. It's all about free will and, and discovery. Or maybe they would say something like, be sure and, and keep that resource for later. I won't tell you what it's used for, but you, you may want to keep your hands on that for later. Just to give you the the heads up on something important that you may be holding in your hand. I know one time they said, in your future, nickel will be very important, the, the you know, nickel. And so all these years I've been, I've been looking to see what could be made out of nickel. And a few years ago, I did hear of something that, a component that they used in some of these new technologies where nickel is being used. So I thought, hmm. It took, you know, what, 25 years for nickel to actually make it on my radar screen. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, and, and the, now they have given us all of the formulas for curing cancer. That's already happened on the planet. It's the people and the 
the big corporations and the pharmaceuticals that are keeping the truth from the people. They helped us with with a lot of our our ailments and diseases uh, many, many years ago. But they gave it to us in a way that we were discovering it ourselves and not giving it to us as a gift, saying, okay, here's the gift, you, you go use it. They would actually make you work for it in some way. It's like they send down a beam of energy to a thousand. A hundred, pick it up. Ten, run with it. But only one gets to do it. That's the formula from there. So inside the Tetons, there's a gigantic cavern. And in the center is this emerald computer. That's what I call it. And when a being is taken, your soul is taken out of your body. And there is an energy placed in your body as to keep everything going naturally everyone's asleep in your house they will not wake up while you're gone you'll be gone for about 45 minutes you will they'll take you and put you through the emerald computer your holographically will form and people will get to see you and you'll get to see others in their holographic form and whoever is bringing the information for that 45 minutes will they'll either talk about the wars on the planet, they'll talk about medical things or relationships or bloodline, whatever it is that the person needs to know about, they'll infuse that information into them, then they'll bring them back to their uh, to their bed, and just before they wake up, there'll be little shots that will happen probably on top of their thumbs, and when you wake up, you'll look and see little red dots, and if you have little red dots, then you know that you've probably been to these meetings. And the reason that you're not to remember is because it would be so shocking, it would be so hard to function after you come back and after you see what what is there because a lot of beings are not humanoid. I would say, though, that probably 60 to 70% of them are. But there are some beings that are pretty scary looking. So once you get past the Fre- Freddy Krueger stage of your sight... <laughs> Great. Well, I'm thinking of that bar scene in Star Wars. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Where do you th- and where do you think that thought came from for him to write that? <laughs> it came, right. It came from the inside of the Teton meetings. And tell us about the beings that conduct, host, orchestrate, lead the meetings. That- different ship commanders. There's different ship commanders that take turns. Um, but Saint Germain, in all of his different... He has different names for different times, but I'll just call him Saint Germain for now. He was the really the one that instigated how the meetings should be coming together and 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 then planned about two hundred years in advance before the Declaration of Independence was ever written. In fact, um, things got so close in heated discussions when they were signing the Declaration of Independence. I mean, some men got up and said, I'm not signing this, and would sit down and fold their arms. And for for days, this went on. It took a long time for everybody to put their signature down. The final nail that happened was when all the doors were locked and no one could leave, and there was this booming voice from the back that rose up, and it was St. Germain. He completely apported himself into the room made this passionate speech. Everybody reached for their pens and signed, and when they turned around, he was gone. (laughs) You know what? After all these years, I just now put it together that July 4th is in the middle of the Teton meetings. That's right. 
Duh. Duh. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Mm-hmm. And from within the archives, I'm just going to repeat this because, like I said, we have so much in the archives that it could get lost. There are, according to what you said before, every 45 minutes, another 144,000 star seeds are transported inside the Tetons, mm-hmm. and in there, time exists in a different plane. So, in inside the Tetons, it's two weeks. Is yep, that correct? Right. 45 minutes of our time, time is two weeks there. And in that two weeks, you get downloads, you get upgrades, you get assignments, you get help. Um, I mean, a whole myriad of things. But I remember when I, when I first heard that, I got out the calculator and I did some math, and it came up to like 36 million souls that go through there right. each, each time. And, and I'm kind of thinking that there are probably more star seeds than that on the planet. There are. And, and there will be some years that you don't go where others will go in your place. It's like you won't go every year. I'll go every year. I'll go every year, of course. But but I'm saying most most people that will, maybe they'll just go once in their lifetime or maybe twice. You, you never know exactly how many times that you'll, it depends on who you are and what area of expertise and how many people you'll be responsible for waking up in your life. It depends on your records. It depends on your assignment. It's not the same for everyone. If you're in a in a position to influence larger numbers of people, then then you'll be you'll be going more often. Yeah, you'll probably be watched more carefully. That's right. So I know that you have actually you've been there in in holographic form, but you've also been taken there physically. Yeah, 1986, I was taken uh, take my physical awareness and my body and everything. Uh, I was taken inside. And they wanted to see how I would be able to handle that. I didn't handle it very well, actually. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You know, the first thing that came out of my mouth was, where's Dan Rather in the camera? Why isn't someone here filming this? And, of course, I was chastised for even having that thought. (laughs) (laughs) But I did take, take notes, and I was able to come back. And after that, that was a six week. Everything happened in six weeks. It wasn't a normal Teton meeting. It was when they all came to really wire up what needed to happen for so many people on the planet. So it was a six-week endeavor. And I was only inside that mountain for a, a couple of times. And then when I came out, my brain was like... um almost paralyzed. I couldn't think. I couldn't function. I remember Thurman, he took me to a racetrack and set me down. And I would just sit there and watch these horses run. And he'd ask me, you know, which horse? And I'd tell him and he'd go make bets. We made lots of money. But I was not, I wasn't present. I couldn't be present because my mind was so blown that I couldn't, I could hardly talk or or even take care of myself. You're kind of dumbfounded. I was. I was. I was beyond. I was beyond help for, <laughs> for a couple of days. But then I understood why you get those shots in your hands, and this was like the second time that I had had say, "Oh, I want to remember. Please let me remember." Well, um, there was one time that, that I was aboard ship, and we were 
we were working with a, the Falkland Islands and Ronald Reagan, and it was a very big energy move that was about to happen on the planet. I said, oh, i got to come back. I want to write about this. I, this is so important for me to write about. And they said, no, take your shots. You don't need, no, you don't need to know, know this now. You don't need to write about this now. We'll tell you later when you can. I said, no, no, no I want to write about it now. I said, okay. And so they brought me back, and there I was, just sitting on the edge of the bed going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and, and, and Thurman didn't know what to do with me, and there was a lady that was staying with us at the time, and thank God, because she had to do all the cooking and cleaning and taking care of me, and I couldn't, I, no words would form, I couldn't feed myself, I couldn't clothe, my, I couldn't do anything for 14 days. Then they came and fixed me, and then they said, now... Do you understand why you get your shots? And I said, yes. So now every time I put my thumbs up and I go, shots, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. So people that are curious, oh, well, I want to remember. No, you don't. You have no idea what you're asking for. Yeah, I agree. And I'm I'm kind of looking at the clock here, and I've got about another hour's worth of questions so how about if we have this in part one and part two? That's fine with me. Okay. Yeah, that's great because there's no way that we can cover everything in uh, in the rest of the time that we have for the show. So uh, when there's plenty plenty of questions left and some really good ones too. So uh, I want to uh, take our time with that. And we will come back the first week we don't have a guest with part two of conversations from Lavendar's vault. So I really want to thank you so much for talking about things that such a wide range for all different levels and from beginners to more advanced starseeds because we really just kind of want to give something for everyone to chew on and digest and help to empower starseeds because that's really why we're all here. And I want to keep it very simple. It's very simple about being here on the planet now. There's only two energies. There's up spiral and there's down spiral. When somebody brings you flowers, you know it. When they bring you thorns, you know it. And, and it's, a, it's about keeping your frequency in alignment with who you are, why you came to the planet, and how you can go forward with your creativity. So don't get caught up in good and bad and, and evil and, and all of that. Just stay true to when somebody... Uh, brings you something that you can use in your life, then appreciate it. And then when somebody tries to cancel you or disempower you in any way, just walk away from it. Don't get into polarity over it. Just go, hmm, that's not for me. My name's not on that. And just keep going. Just keep going. Because eventually you'll come out on the other end, and you'll be happy that you did. Well, Lavendar, we thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, your wisdom, and your experience. And um, I want to thank you all for listening tonight. And a reminder that we will be off the air for the next two Tuesdays because we're going to Arkansas for our Starseed Quest. So until we are back again together, take care and remember to count your blessings every day. From all of us here at Starseed Radio Academy, thanks so much for listening. Good night. You've been listening to Starseed Radio Academy. Visit our website at www.starseedhotline.com. 